This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Hello, everybody. Hope you're safe and healthy and enjoying a, a summer Saturday. The news from New Jersey this week is concerning. The Delta variant is spreading, and New Jersey seeing a spike in coronavirus cases. And, and while we are not, thank, thank God, anywhere near the crisis of last summer, the, the news, news is troubling. And New Jersey announced more than 1,000 new COVID cases on Thursday, and that was the first time the number hit 1,000 since April. And, and it was just slightly under 1,000 on Friday. So this week, Governor Phil Murphy strongly advised, and to be clear, this is not an order. It's just a, a firm suggestion uh, jointly with his commissioner of health, Judy Persicelli, that, that both vaccinated and unvaccinated New Jerseyans should wear masks in some crowded indoor settings and or, or when there might be exposure to someone who's not been vaccinated. And, and according to CDC metrics, there's there's 10 New Jersey counties where a return to certain indoor mask wearing is now recommended. And as we we watch the twists and turns of this this new variant, and we, we all hope for the, the very best, there's there's little doubt that uh, where New Jersey and the nation is when it comes to dealing with this deadly virus, uh, the events of the next three months, they're, they're going to loom large in New Jersey's upcoming election for governor. Uh, c- coming up on the New Jersey Globe Power Hour right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC, I will speak with Congressman Tom Malinowski. He's a two-term Democrat from New Jersey. He comes from the most politically competitive district in the state. And I'm going to ask Congressman Malinowski about controversies that are surrounding his personal stock trades and financial disclosures. It's it's something that's caused him some major headaches over the last few months. But I'm also going to ask him about his work in Washington and and what he's doing on infrastructure projects and restoring property tax deductions and and some questions on foreign policy. Uh, Before he went to Congress... Tom Malinowski was an assistant U.S. Secretary of State, so you're not going to want to miss a word of this interview. That's coming up at 420. Malinowski's re-election campaign is is already heating up. He won by just one percentage point last year. And no other House Democrat in the country had a closer race than he did. Now he's facing a rematch uh, with the person that almost beat him last year, Republican Tom Kane, the minority leader of the New Jersey Senate. Uh, as all of us await congressional redistricting, so far, this is the race to watch. And, and control of the U.S. House of Representatives, the, the political future of Nancy Pelosi, might hinge on the Malinowski versus Kane race. This is David Wildstein. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. This week at the New Jersey Globe, uh, we're going to start something new. We're going to start giving out the Sue Fulton Award. And and let me explain what the Sue Fulton Award is. Sue runs the New Jersey Motor Vehicles Commission. And and while there's no shortage of, of inept bureaucrats at all levels of government, it's been a long time since I've seen somebody with less personal empathy than Sue Fulton. 
when you're when you're a little clueless, when you can't sense that there's a problem out there, when you can't see the human factor be beyond the red tape and the spin, for, frankly, when you just don't get it, I'm going to give uh, the Sue Fulton Award. And this week, there's going to be two of them. It's, if anybody wants to guess who wins the Sue Fulton Award, uh, here's, here's the first one. The, the Star-Ledger reported this week that the New Jersey Motor Vehicles Commission there is booked up 60 days in advance for some appointments, including teenagers trying to get their learner's permits. And every day at midnight, the DMV, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep calling it the DMV. There's that whole lipstick on a pig thing going on here. But at midnight, the DMV puts up appointments for one day, 60 days away. And, and these appointments, they go fast. And the DMV's advice to people who are frustrated with having to go online to snag an appointment that's two months away, they tell them, well, just just be persistent. So now Fulton has put her boss, Governor Phil Murphy, into a, a little bit of an election year buzzsaw when, when she blamed the delay for teenagers to get their permits and licenses on the avalanche of applications for undocumented immigrants who are now permitted to get driver's license in New Jersey. And within a day, Fulton's flack walked that back. Now, now I'm by no means perfect. I'm not representing that, that I'm right and Sue Fulton was wrong. But if it were me, I'd say something like, you know, it's, it's painful for me to watch teenagers who've been waiting years to get their driver's license and can't get an appointment and and that they're setting their alarms at midnight every day and, and i'm trying to hard hard to fix this but poor sue fulton she's just a bureaucrat just she can't seem to nail the empathy thing so instead her answer to me well i mean I mean, actually, her flax answer, because she hung up on me when I called her on her cell phone. But her, her spokesperson's answer was that the DMV is processing 25% more transactions per week than before the, the pandemic. That, that's, that's what they're saying. They're saying everything is actually getting better. Look how much better we're doing. And I don't think there's anybody in New Jersey who thinks that the DMV is doing better. So congratulations to Sue Fulton the winner of the first Sue Fulton Award. Good job, Sue. And and I'll be giving out a second Sue Fulton Award later on the New Jersey Globe Power Hour, right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's, it'll be after my interview with Congressman Tom Malinowski. You're not going to believe this story. This is David Wildstein, and I'm talking about the director of the DMV, Sue Fulton, on the New Jersey Globe Power Hour. So, so here's one more thing about Sue Fulton. Back in April, President Biden nominated her to serve as the Assistant Secretary of Defense. And, and, I'm, and I'm certain I don't get what Biden was thinking, sending the beleaguered head of the New Jersey DMV to the Pentagon. But but I would imagine aides to Governor Murphy can't wait for the U.S. Senate to finally confirm her and get her out of Trenton. Uh, a few months ago, Assemblyman Brian Bergen was on on this show. He's a, he's a West Point graduate who flew army combat helicopters in Iraq. And I asked him if he was worried about America's military preparedness. You know, God forbid something serious happens in the world that involves a wide, you know, a wide scale uh, action from the Pentagon with, with Sue Fulton sitting in Washington. And what Bergen told me was that the Pentagon is a, it's a huge place. It's full of 
extraordinarily competent people who will quickly uh, spot a weak link and, and they'll back her up. They'll work around her if they have to. They'll make sure that she doesn't impair their work. So uh, while he's a conservative Republican, Brian Bergen, Assemblyman Bergen, told me that he's, he's actually supportive of Biden's decision to nominate Fulop, uh, Fulton. I'm sorry, that was, a, that was a slip. Sue Fulton. Because he says Fulton is more dangerous to the people of New Jersey at the DMV than she will be at the Pentagon. Uh, for everybody who bemoaned last year's all-vote-by-mail election, uh, for those who dreamed of the the day when we would return to normalcy with in-person voting, here's a, here's a be careful what you wish for kind of story. Uh, with just 94 days before Election Day, New Jersey's anticipating a shortage of poll workers. Uh, the jobs traditionally filled by senior citizens, but COVID has reduced the pool of people who are willing to work a 15-hour day coming in contact with hundreds of voters. The state Senate passed a bill a month ago to raise the pay of an Election Day worker from $200 to $400, but, but the state assembly hasn't addressed the issue. Now it's too late. The legislature's now on a recess until after the election. So, it's up to Governor Murphy to decide if he's going to raise poll worker pay through an executive order. Uh, the polls in New Jersey open at 6 a.m., which means an election worker needs to wake up early enough to be at the polling place by 5.30. Uh, they work until 8 p.m., and, and if they're lucky, they're out by 8.30. It, it's usually a little bit longer, and it's not an easy day. And New Jersey's going to need... About 13,000, more than 13,000 election day workers. Uh, on top of that, poll workers need to be trained. That's included in the $200. So for an amount that turns out to be less than the minimum wage New Jersey politicians, I mean, at least Democrats who, who, uh, who have fought for an increase in the minimum wage, it turns out to be less than the hour, hourly rate that uh, people think is a livable wage. Uh, now, we'll add another level of complication here. Uh, there's a new law in effect. New Jersey's going to have er in-person early voting. That means that for the nine days preceding the general election, early voting centers will be open from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Sunday. And that means that election officials will need enough poll workers to staff these voting centers for an extra nine days. And remember, it's not likely that one person will work 103 hours over a 10-day period, so they'll need more people than 13,000. The, the Department of Labor told me that uh, poll workers who will be working for the government, so there's no exemption for overtime. And, and you know, just you wait, there's, there's still a little bit more here. There, with early voting comes something called electronic poll books. These are tablets that can track voters in real time so that you can't go to one early voting center, vote, and then go do it again. Uh, but think about this. The entire success of early voting is based on, on grandpa being able to learn how to use an electronic poll book after a 45-minute training class. Uh, at the 45 minutes to learn how to use a tablet, and that's what that's what elections will be based on. I mean, I mean, what could possibly go wrong with that? 
but this is important. If you want to work for a day, if you're in New Jersey and you want to work for a day to make sure uh, that people can vote, just sign up and go to work as a poll worker. Google New Jersey poll workers or visit the uh, the New Jersey Division of Elections website. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour, and I'll be right back with Congressman Tom Malinowski. So please don't go anywhere. You will not want to miss what he has to say. The pandemic of 2020 felt like a dark tunnel. And while 2020 is over, the impact is not. I'm New Jersey's former governor, Richard Cody. The pandemic affected our physical and mental health. My wife, Mary Jo, and I started the Cody Fund for Mental Health to Change Lives. Mental health issues can impact any family, including ours. That's why we want everyone to know about NJ211. NJ211 is an information and referral service connecting anyone in crisis to the help they need. It's for everyone, veterans, seniors, even children. I'm living proof there's light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not a train, it's help. It's NJ211. Remember, it's okay not to feel okay. If you need help, go to nj211.org or dial 211. The pandemic of 2020 felt like a dark tunnel. And while 2020 is over, the impact is not. I'm New Jersey's former governor, Richard Cody. The pandemic affected our physical and mental health. My wife, Mary Jo, and I started the Cody Fund for Mental Health to Change Lives. Mental health issues can impact any family, including ours. That's why we want everyone to know about NJ211. NJ211 is an information and referral service connecting anyone in crisis to the help they need. It's for everyone, veterans, seniors, even children. I'm living proof there's light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not a train, it's help. It's NJ211. Remember, it's okay not to feel okay. If you need help, go to nj211.org or dial 211. Old school, classic, punk, indie, 80s, 90s, whatever. If it's got passion and a backbeat, I want to hear it. And I want to know more about the artists who create it. That's why I read Rock and Roll Globe. Rockandrollglobe.com features the sharpest takes about what's good and what's um, not so good in music. They call it real writing about real music. It's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just crisp, surprising insight into music of all kinds, interviews with performers, concise reviews of hot new records, a look back at that great album that changed everything. It's all on rockandrollglobe.com. Check out Rock and Roll Globe. That's rockandrollglobe.com. I could hardly wait. The New Jersey Globe Power Hour is on. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back. It's David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. Tom Malinowski serving his second term as the congressman from New Jersey's 7th District. Congressman, how are you? I'm good. 
Good to be here, David. I'm glad. Thank you for coming on. And, And, Congressman, there's been a lot of questions about your personal stock trades. What's going on with that? Well, so the, the, the basic facts are that we are required in Congress, and rightly so, to report all of our financial holdings and transactions. Uh, and I, I did that annually, but I made a, a dumb technical mistake that resulted in some of my periodic or monthly transactions being reported late. Um, I've fully corrected uh, all of that. I've, in fact, gone above and beyond what the law requires of us by putting all of my savings uh, in a blind trust. So I have no idea what my investments are. There's not even the the potential for uh, a conflict of interest. And in fact, one lesson I've drawn from all of this is that every member of Congress should be required uh, either not to be invested in the stock market at all or uh, or to have a fully blind trust. And I'm championing legislation to, to try to establish that rule. And Republicans say you, you violated a law that required the timely disclosure. There had been a, a complaint followed with, filed with the Ethics Committee. Uh, do you think that you violated a law, or is this just a, a technical issue? I, this is, this is a, a technical issue. Um, I've, I've paid a small late fee for filing paperwork late. And, and I think, you know, let's... Let's back up here and, and, and think about what's, what's going on in my very contested swing district uh, in our state. Uh, think about what's going on in our country on the issues that, that the voters actually care about. We, we have gone in the last few months from, first in the, from last in the world to first in the world in fighting COVID. The, the economy is growing at an absolutely record pace. We've delivered federal aid to all of our municipalities in New Jersey so that property taxes don't have to go up. We, we just delivered the biggest middle-class tax cut in generations with this child tax credit that started going out to families uh, on July 15th. We're funding the Gateway Tunnel. Uh, we've lowered health insurance costs. There's a good chance this year of getting back some or all of our salt deduction. And these things are hugely helpful. They're hugely popular. How do you run against that kind of record of delivering what the voters want? Well, the answer is you can't. You can't run against it. And so the only way to run a race against me is to go after me personally, which is what the Republicans have tried to do both elections that I won. I mean, I was accused basically of being a terrorist in 2018. And in 2020, the ads they ran I don't think I can even describe on a, on a family radio show. So this is basically all they've got. It's, it's kind of uh, telling, I think, that they, they, they presumably plan to run their whole campaign around this. And what it tells us is that they really have nothing positive to run on. They can't, they can't uh, justify opposition to the results that we have been delivering. So that's, that's a debate that I welcome uh, and expect to win. And, and Congressman, I, I have said this before. I said it to House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy when he was on the show a couple of weeks ago. I don't, I don't believe for a second you were running out of briefings to call your broker with stock tips. But, uh, but, but still, it, it, I mean, it, it doesn't look great. I see the context of this in a campaign. Why didn't you just stop trading immediately? Why did it take this long to, uh, to come up with a uh, 
uh, a blind trust agreement? You know, dozens of members of Congress, for better or worse, uh, come into office with uh, with, in, with personal investments. Um, Republicans, Democrats, my uh, my opponent in this race, Tom Kane Jr., is actively trading in the stock market right now. Um, he's been our uh, state Senate minority leader, as you know, in in Trenton for for many years. Uh, so uh, you know that is that is a reality in in our politics. And I've come to agree that it shouldn't be. And perhaps I should have come to that conclusion. We all should have come to that conclusion years ago. What I can do right now and what I have done is gone above and beyond what the law requires. I'll be the, the only candidate in, in my race in the 7th District who's not actually invested in the stock market. Uh, and, uh, and I'm trying to establish that as a binding rule for, for all members of Congress, for all elected officials. I think that's, uh, that is the right lesson to draw from this. And, and I'm speaking with Congressman Tom Malinowski, New Jersey. And, and Congressman, I, I, th- I think I know you well enough to know that we are we're seconds away from you saying our nation's I'm facing huge, huge problems. Why why don't you ask me about them? So, so let me do that. Uh, both parties have compromised now on an infrastructure deal. What does that mean for New Jersey? It means uh, jobs. It means economic growth. It means better commutes for people who need to work. It means we are finally going to build the gateway projects, including the Hudson Tunnel. That is so, so vital to our economy. I mean, we, we have to overcome massive resistance from the Trump administration to get part of that project, the Portal Bridge, approved. We now have a cooperative president in Joe Biden, and through this infrastructure bill, we are going to pay for that project. But it's more than just roads and bridges and tunnels. It's it's also the, the pipes that deliver our water. It's the, the 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 wires that deliver broadband internet to our rural areas. That's a problem in parts of my district. It's our national electric power grid. Think about what happened in Texas when a storm basically knocked out power for a whole state. And think about the challenge we'll face when we start hooking up every car in America to the electrical grid, uh, that we will have a massive, massive investment in. And it's a down payment on something so important to, I think, all of us making sure America leads the world in the transition from uh, from fossil fuels to clean energy. So, yeah, we got a bipartisan deal. Uh, this is something that has eluded us uh, for many years. It started with the one functioning bipartisan group in the House, the Problem Solvers Caucus, which I'm a member of. So we wrote the first draft of this bill. Uh, and I, you know, I think we're going to get it through the Senate uh, and hopefully through the House as well. Still important to note, you know, you're, you started with politics. I will point out that most of the Republicans in the Senate voted against it. And I, I would be, uh, I would be surprised if, if it wasn't mostly Democrats carrying this in the House of Representatives. The, the progress we are making right now is because of the leaders that we elected in 2020. And is this I mean, the, the, the Gateway Tunnel, which is uh, the, the, the Gateway Project, is, is a hugely important thing for New Jersey. Uh, are we are we in a position now, and, and to New York also, but but are we in a position now where you think it's it's not a question of if it's going to happen now, but but when that'll be approved? Yeah, you know, I don't want to I want to count my chickens, but 
we we did have a positive vote, a uh, couple of votes in the Senate this week, including uh, you know, enough Republicans to to break through any filibuster. Uh, we uh, we have some Democrats who are disappointed who think that the bill doesn't go far enough. Joe Biden supports it strongly. Uh, I support it strongly. The majority of our caucus does. We we will push for more in a budget reconciliation bill that uh, that comes later. But uh, there's no question in my mind that this infrastructure bill is great for New Jersey, great for America, and I'm confident that we are going to send it to Joe Biden, make it the law of the land. I'm speaking with Congressman Tom Malinowski. You you mentioned the SALT deduction. I mean, the 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 I guess return of the state and local tax tax deduction. Where is that in the process right now? What's what's the realistic expectation of New Jersey of having that restored? This is so important to so many of my constituents, David. And, and you know, we know what happened in 2017 with that Republican tax bill that took away the one deduction that middle class homeowners in New Jersey actually could get to fund basically tax relief for big corporations and the wealthiest Americans. We've already returned some of that money with this uh, child tax credit, $300 for every child under the age of six, for for every uh, middle class and and, and working family in uh, in New Jersey in in the country. So that's step one. Step two is trying to get the full deductibility of our state and local taxes back. Our best chance of doing that is in this budget reconciliation bill that Democrats are negotiating right now that will come uh, probably shortly after we adopt the the infrastructure bill. Uh, The the early signs from the Senate are good. Bernie Sanders, uh, who obviously uh, holds down the left wing of of the party, is not a big fan of the SALT deduction, but he acknowledged that the budget reconciliation bill would need to address the SALT issue for those of us from from high-tax states like New Jersey. I have said I am not going to vote for a budget reconciliation bill that raises, uh, that has any impact on our individual tax rates um, for for hardworking families in my district if we don't address SALT. Uh, And I'm uh, I'm not as uh, 100% confident as I am on Gateway, but I'm more optimistic on this than I have been for some time. Okay. And I'm, I'm speaking with Congressman Tom Malinowski, who has, has agreed to uh, to stay on. I'm going to uh, I'm going to take a personal risk here and, and and talk to you about foreign policy, a conversation in which I'm 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 hugely overmatched by a former assistant U.S. Secretary of State. But uh, we'll be right back with Tom Malinowski after a short break. Please don't go anywhere. This is David Wildstein. You are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. The pandemic of 2020 felt like a dark tunnel. While 2020 is over, the impact is not. I'm New Jersey's former governor, Richard Cody. The pandemic affected our physical and mental health. My wife, Mary Jo, and I started the Cody Fund for Mental Health to Change Lives. Mental health issues can impact any family, including ours. That's why we want everyone to know about NJ211. NJ211 is an information and referral service connecting anyone in crisis to the help they need. It's for everyone, veterans, seniors, even children. I'm living proof there's light at the end of the tunnel. 
And it's not a train. It's help. It's NJ211. Remember, it's okay not to feel okay. If you need help, go to nj211.org or dial 211. When it comes to autism, finding the right words can be tough. Finding community in these challenging times doesn't have to be. Join us, even virtually, to move together towards a kinder world for the millions of people on the autism spectrum. Find out how at autismspeaks.org slash together. When it comes to autism, finding the right words can be tough. Finding community in these challenging times doesn't have to be. Join us, even virtually, to move together towards a kinder world for the millions of people on the autism spectrum. Find out how at autismspeaks.org slash together. A budget analyst is wanted in Secaucus, New Jersey, to review budget proposals, explain budget reports, minimum requirements or a master's degree in accounting or related field, one year of accounting or budgetary experience, one year of experience in all of the following, preparing and analyzing financial statements and cash flow reports, analyzing and evaluating companies' business operations, trends and estimates, experience in developing and maintaining complex financial records in Excel. Send resumes to Samantha Fang, FH Group International Incorporated, 265 Secaucus Road, Secaucus, New Jersey, 077. 094 job reference 1001 It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC Welcome back. It's David Wildstein of the New Jersey Globe. I'm speaking with Congressman Tom Malinowski. Congressman, there have been protests this summer in Cuba over over lack of freedoms and a failing economy. How how will this crisis play play out? I hope it plays out in a way that allows the Cuban people a chance to experience the freedom that they have been yearning for 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 decades. This is a brutal, corrupt communist regime that uh, has been denying its people uh, everything from the liberty to vote for the leaders of their choice, to speak their minds, to the liberty to own property and to farm their land and, and to, to, uh, to run businesses, to, to have an economy that, that can deliver food uh, to their kids. And people are fed up. And, uh, you know, they came out in, in a way that we haven't seen in a very, very long time. Um, it's a tricky issue for the United States. You know, we, we've had a trade embargo on Cuba for, for many decades as well. The Cuban regime always blames us. They blame that trade embargo for the poverty and the suffering of their people, which is not true. The, the, the default lies, in my view, uh, squarely on the shoulders of, uh, of the communist dictatorship that runs the country. And uh, you know, I, I really hope that this time uh, the, the long suffering of that people of that country get the freedom that they demanded. How far off do you think Cuba is from holding democratic elections at, at some point? Will, I mean, will, will it be in, will it be in our lifetimes, or are we are we looking way way down the road? It will be in our lifetimes. I, I don't think 
look, look dictatorship is is hard to break, and it's hard to break because dictators generally don't hesitate to use violence against people who peacefully ask for change. If you if you protest in Cuba, you're going to get beaten. You're going to get in prison. But eventually, you know, I've been working on on this kind of issue all around the world all my life. Eventually, even the hardest dictatorships fall because it's hard to govern the country when the overwhelming majority of the people are against you. And the question for us is, what can we do? Right? What can we do to help? We're not. We can't be on the streets with ordinary Cubans, but we can. We can do more to get them access to the internet, for example, to get them access to uncensored information. We we can do more to rally other countries in Latin America and Europe to demand that the Cuban regime start to open up. Um, I think I think the Biden administration is a better position to do that than the Trump administration was simply because it's been repairing our alliances with with countries around the world. And and that puts us in a better position to build the kind of coalition that can speak effectively to a dictatorship like Cuba. I'm speaking with Congressman Tom Malinowski on the New Jersey Globe Power Hour. Congressman, this week I I listened to a hearing you participated in, in on the U.S.-China relations and their their treatment of, of the Uyghurs, uh, Muslim Chinese, their, their 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 issues of forced sterilizations and internments and concentration camps, and you push some of, of the United States' top corporations. Uh, they're all sponsoring the the Olympic Games in Beijing uh, next year. You, you talked to Airbnb, Coca Cola, and and told them to stand up to the Chinese government. What did they tell you? They told me that they were cowardly, really. So the Olympics, the Winter Olympics, are, are scheduled to be held in China at the same time as China is committing what our State Department has called genocide against the, the Uyghur people. Hundreds of thousands of people held in concentration camps simply because of who they are, because of their their faith. And the Olympics are underwritten. They're sponsored by major corporations like Coca-Cola and Intel and, yes, Airbnb. And we, we, we had executives from these companies come and testify to us. And, and I, I asked them, you know, would you at least say that you are against hundreds of thousands of people being held in concentration camps? And they wouldn't do it. And, you know, these are some of the same companies that have been very, very vocal in condemning, for example, bad voting laws in American states like Georgia and Texas. And I agree with them. I, I, you know, I, I like it when American companies speak up on social issues. But it's interesting to me that they have the courage to speak up when, it's, when something bad is happening in the United States. But when it's in China, they go mum uh, because they're, they're scared. Congressman, you you gave. I mean, I, I heard you give Airbnb a, a hypothetical. Would would you still run a business uh, in Los Angeles if they were interning gay people and, and Jews? And and I mean, they wouldn't. They wouldn't say they wouldn't. It seemed it seemed like a lot of double talk from them, which which to me sort of surprised me. It it was it was eye opening to me, and I hope to others because again, we're living in an age when. 
big American companies are willing to speak out seemingly on a lot of political and social issues. But when it comes to China, where, you know, whatever you think about what's happening on voting rights in Georgia, I don't like it. Genocide is worse. <laughs> and they're not willing to say anything about it. And it's because the Chinese market is big. They make a lot of profit there. And they are afraid that if they, if, if they utter a word of criticism, the Chinese government is going to kick them out. And I think that's shameful. I think, well, I don't think the Olympics should be held in China. And we've been doing a lot to try to pressure the International Olympic Committee uh, on this. Uh, we've been, I've been calling for a diplomatic boycott. I don't think the Biden administration should send anybody in the way they normally do. And I don't think they will to, to these Olympics. And, and we also want to use it to bring some global attention to these horrible human rights abuses. Um, and by the way, there's a lot yes. of other issues here for us. You know, I, I'm a big champion of, uh, of fighting climate change and America leading the world in transitioning to clean energy. Uh, to do that, we got to use solar power. We, we, we need to build our solar industry. And turns out that most of the solar panels that we use in the United States, you know where they're built? Um, they're built with or they're they're built with materials that come from this part of China where uh, forced labor is rampant. Uh, there's a material called polysilicon that uh, is the one of the main components of solar power uh, panels and it, it, it's a product of forced labor. And so one of the things I'm going to do uh, is uh, in the coming uh, weeks, we're working on legislation uh, to uh, to ramp up in the United States production of critical materials uh, and goods that are absolutely vital to our economy that uh, right now we're dependent on China for. We need to build these supply chains in the United States. Not necessarily for you know TVs or uh, hair dryers, but for goods and services that are critical to our national security and to our economy. And, and one of the things, Congressman, I'm speaking with Congressman Tom Malinowski of New Jersey. You you have you have said that if the world's population remains unvaccinated until 2024, that that that's a disaster that would would hurt the U.S. and and everybody on the planet. So you're 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 looking for ways of finding money to vaccinate everybody. Uh, why do you think the U.S., not China, should should lead this effort? First of all, we've got the greatest capacity. We, we, have, we have most of the word, world's manufacturing capacity for the amazing vaccines that our companies invented. And we have a powerful self-interest in addition to the humanitarian uh, issue here. We have a powerful self-interest in making sure that everyone in the world is vaccinated and not wait till 2023 and 2024, because if this thing is spreading unchecked in Africa, in Asia, in Latin America, eventually we will have new variants, new mutations that come back and kill Americans, that defeat the current vaccines. So I can't think of a better investment in our own public health, in our own national security and trying to make sure that everybody in the world is vaccinated. The U.S. doesn't have to do it alone. Lots of our allies will contribute, but 
we are going to have to do most of this, given that most of the manufacturing capacity is here. And yeah, I don't want China doing it. I, I think this is also an opportunity for the United States to get its mojo back in the world. It's an opportunity for us to show people around the world that when there's great need, America does great things. America, not our competitors like China. And Congressman Malinowski, and I'll, I'll shift this, you know, to 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 just one last area before we break. I saw your name on the roster to play for the Democrats in the annual congressional baseball game in September. You, you and Bill Pascrell representing New Jersey. What what can New Jersey expect from Tom Malinowski's performance on the baseball field? Oh no, this is uh, you can't imagine how much pressure. <laughs> this question puts me under, David. Uh, well, I'm foreign I'm policy, no problem, right? But baseball, it's a, it's a little little edgy. But. It's one game. It's one game in front of twenty thousand people at Nationals Park. This was my dream growing up as a kid in New Jersey, playing little league baseball. And it's it's one of the great traditions. We raise a lot of money for charity, and we have a lot of bipartisan fund. The Republicans against the Democrats. Uh, I'm hoping to, uh, to spend some time playing shortstop. Uh, we, we practice every morning at 7 a.m. I think the Republicans are out at 6 a.m. because they've lost most of the last dozen games, and I think they're, they're eager for revenge. So I can guarantee everybody a really great time uh, and a lot of money raised for a lot of good causes. September 29th at Nationals Park, everybody's welcome. That's great. And I have just one last question. And I, I, don't, I don't mean to put a lot of pressure on you, but whose uniform are you going to wear? Oh, we are. Uh, I wore the uniform of, uh, uh, of Raritan Valley Community College in my first game in 2019. Uh, and this year, uh, we're going to have a little competition for the local high schools. And uh, I will wear one of their uniforms to be determined. That's great. That's great. Congressman Tom Malinowski, thank you for joining me. It's, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you, David. Thank you. And I'll be right back to talk about more about New Jersey politics. This is David Wildstein, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Old school, classic, punk, indie, 80s, 90s, whatever. If it's got passion and a backbeat, I want to hear it. And I want to know more about the artists who create it. That's why I read Rock and Roll Globe. Rockandrollglobe.com features the sharpest takes about what's good and what's um, not so good in music. They call it real writing about real music. It's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just crisp, surprising insight into music of all kinds, interviews with performers, concise reviews of hot new records, a look back at that great album that changed everything. It's all on rockandrollglobe.com. Check out Rock and Roll Globe. That's rockandrollglobe.com. I always value books and films and good TV, but now during a pandemic, I appreciate them. I need them more than ever. That's why I read Book and Film Globe. Bookandfilmglobe.com is the smartest, sharpest commentary about what's good and what's um, not good in the worlds of books, movies, and quality TV. 
This isn't celebrity gossip, and it's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just smart, clear writing about the best new things to watch and read. Interviews with directors, concise reviews of hot new books, actors describing classic scenes. It's all on bookandfilmglobe.com. And there are three Rotten Tomatoes certified reviewers, so you know you're getting good advice. Check out Book and Film Globe. That's bookandfilmglobe.com. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, As promised, here's our next Sue Fulton Award, and it goes to the town of Westfield. Now, now hold down to your seat, because you're not going to believe this. Westfield's a, a very nice high-income suburban community in Union County, and and they applied for a CARES Act grant to get their piece of the federal stimulus money. They wanted to make sure that downtown Westfield prospered during the 2020 Christmas holidays. There's nothing wrong with that. A thriving local Main Street is is, is critical to spurring the economy. So their plan was to set up a holiday visitor center in a vacant storefront staffed with, in their words, ambassadors to patrol downtown streets, give out masks and maps of local businesses. And the Downtown Westfield Association used some of the grant money to buy, now, now get this, they used federal funds to buy thousands of canvas tote bags and the tote bags, believe it or not, they didn't arrive on time. Uh, something one person in the project they initially denied, and they've been sitting in the storage room for the last seven months. and And you have to look at how other towns use their their CARES Act funds. I mean, places like Bloomfield and Metuchen and Red Bank, they provided heaters to local restaurants so that outdoor dining after the weather got colder could continue. and and towns like Summit and Booton provided direct grants to local retail businesses so that they could remain open. Woodbury bought extra personal protection equipment. And Patterson used their CARES Act funds for mental health programs for children and for food pantries and rental assistance to uh, prevent people from becoming homeless. And and I was I was told this was this was just a nothing burger that it was wasn't a lot of money it was just about eight thousand dollars that in a sense it it you know that I didn't get it and and why because because these weren't just common everyday tote bags these were short and wide canvas tote bags so that people who were shopping in downtown Westfield could get their Christmas presents wrapped and carry them without fear that the ones on the bottom might get crushed. And I, I feel that a lot of questions and a lot of calls from people in New Jersey politics since the Globe ran the story, I'll tell you this, nobody but the people in Westfield seemed to think that this was a good idea. And one mayor, an urban mayor, a Democrat, just like Westfield's controlled by Democrats, and a Democrat, he was incredulous over this. The mayor told me that Westfield was out of touch. He said that while... Well, some people in New Jersey are facing genuinely serious problems in their lives. Unemployment, hunger. Downtown Westfield Corporation was taking these federal relief funds and they're giving away tote bags. 
Now, I want to be fair. The chair of the downtown Westfield Corporation, Patricia Hannigan, she disagreed with me. She thought the idea of tote bags was great. She said they'll give away the tote bags someday, so it's no big deal that they're sitting in a storage room. I shouldn't be worried about that. And, and what really struck me, and I'm not exactly new to this, was the steps that were taken to distance the mayor of, of the town, who's up for re-election this year, from these tote bags. And, and I thought, frankly, it was a little too much protesting. Uh, Patricia Hannigan told me that business is like her. She's, she owns a gourmet artisanal olive oil store that it might have closed if downtown tr- foot traffic during the holidays wasn't strong. And, and she's not wrong. But still, it's not like there's a bottomless pit of money out there. And it's, it's fair to wonder if tote bags are the, the secret of an economic comeback. So, so thanks to the tote bags, Westfield gets the, the other Sue Fulton Award this week. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, now get this. A former caseworker for the New Jersey Department of Children and Family Services. This is the agency that, asks, that, 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 that is responsible for the welfare of at-risk children. This former caseworker was sentenced to 20 years in prison for producing child pornography. And, and you're not going to believe this part. Uh, this man, Kayon Frazier, was working as a substitute teacher in Atlantic City when he was investigating for having a nine-year-old student spend the night at his apartment. He was investigated by the state of New Jersey, by the Department of Children and Family Services. So Atlantic City fired him. And this guy, uh, in an incredible showing, of, it's either hubris or stupidity, applied for a job at the same state agency that was part of the investigation against him. Since he didn't have a criminal record, they didn't charge him at that point, uh, and since one hand sometimes doesn't know what the other is doing, they hired him. So Frazier worked with children in vulnerable situations for a year and a half before the FBI raided his apartment and found an underage boy there and thousands of images depicting child abuse. Then, only then did he lose his job. And, and, and I want to I say this. Don't blame Governor Murphy for this. The, the guy was hired uh, during the administration on the watch of the previous governor. Uh, this is David Wildstein, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Uh, the president of the New Jersey Policemen's Benevolent Association sounded some alarms this week over a new law that legalizes marijuana in New Jersey. Patrick Colligan said that a law that doesn't allow police officers to detain and search and arrest minors without, without potentially facing civil rights charges, that it restricts them from upholding basic law uh, across the state. And he said that underage kids know this. They've, they've, they have developed a a sensibility for the law, and they know what the police officers can and can't do. So in a letter to state legislative leaders, the PBA president said that, uh, he said public pot use by minors has now overwhelmed police departments, especially at the Jersey Shore this somewhere, but but everywhere, uh, everywhere else in the state. Uh, Pat Colligan said, and these are his words, 
it should not take an incident of a deadly DUI by a minor or a drug dealer using a minor as a mule gone wrong for the legislature to correct this. So now the PBA president wants the legislature to to take a look at this and 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 work at work at changing uh, at changing this law. Uh, so we have one issue that we're going to we're going to watch for this week. Uh, the Republican candidate for governor, Jack Chitterelli, will name his running mate. It's due by August six. So we'll we'll finally know the identity of the Republican candidate for governor. The Chitterelli campaign has had this thing under under lock and key, and uh, uh, it'll be nice to finally know who it is. The New Jersey Globe will be sponsoring the lieutenant governor debate and uh uh so we are we are especially especially anxious to to learn the identity of the republican nominee for governor so also this week uh there was some more there was some more drama on on redistricting and and i've been talking about this for a couple weeks uh in new jersey uh the bipartisan 12 members of the Congressional Redistricting Commission, they are, they are responsible for picking the tiebreaker. And if they can't agree on who that tiebreaker will be, if, if, if it's a tie vote, which it was, the New Jersey Supreme Court, the full court, is constitutionally obligated to pick either the Democratic candidate or the Republican candidate. And and the justices and I, I can I can understand this. The justices want to stay out of the the partisan fight. So Chief Justice Stuart Rabner asked both parties to go back to the drawing table and see if they can come up with a consensus candidate for for a tiebreaker. That would that would prevent the Supreme Court from having to choose either the Democrat or the Republican. And in this case they're they're both retired justices uh the the democratic side met and they came up with another name uh it was a a former chief justice of the new jersey supreme court deborah poritz nominally a registered republican they thought that that might change it the republicans have a different attitude they say this is what the constitution says they say that that the two parties met they couldn't arrive at a consensus and that they submitted the top two vote getters, former Justice John Wallace and former Judge Maria Tormentimus, to the courts. And it's their job. It's their constitutional obligation to pick one of them. Uh, so, so we're coming up on the deadline. It's August 10th. The courts have to make that decision by August 10th. I think there's a good chance. The Chief Justice Rabner will try again over the next 10 days to try and keep the court out of the politics of this, see if he can mediate a, a, a tiebreaker. Uh, we will see. It's, it's going to be worth watching. This is hugely, hugely important. How this map goes could determine who controls Congress in, 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 after the 22 elections. So thank you for listening this week. Thanks to Kevin Sanders, as always. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Okay, girls, ready to go? Yeah! Mom, I'm hungry. Can I have a snack? Me too, Mom. You want a snack? Yeah! Got it? Children learn from our behaviors. Mommy, can you open this, All right, please? hold on one second. Okay. 
Okay, here. Thank you. They learn what is okay from the adults they see. Mommy, are you on your phone? If you're a distracted driver, chances are they will be too. What kind of driver are you raising? Funded by the Governor's Traffic Safety Committee. Refinitive US LLC seeks a quantitative, qualitative analyst in New York, New York to monitor and analyze the performance of existing investment banking quantitative models, market trends, and changing regulation that affect quantitative models. Telecommuting is permissible from any home office in the U.S. To apply, send resume to HR R0031062, Refinitive US LLC, 28 Liberty Street, New York, New York, 10005.